So I, you know, I'm excited also. As a matter of fact, Friday morning, I woke up and I really felt like I was 10 years old. I, I was so excited about today and I felt like I was 10. And then I got up and went in my restroom and looked in the mirror. I said, nope, you're not 10. <laughs> Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we are just so grateful for your love, your mercy, and your kindness towards us. We're so excited about being in the family, about knowing you. And we pray that our hearts will be receptive to your word today. Bless the pastor and give him strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claude. Um, well, I am um, amped about Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is my favorite uh, day, and so I'm very excited. It's a great day. There's a lot of good happening. I think I saw my wife here today. So good to see her. Oh, my mom is here today, too. I didn't know if she was going to make it. And I see my son here is here today, Augustin Elliott. He's nine days old. Thank you for coming, son. Appreciate you coming to church. Um, there's a lot of good happening um, like I said, my mom is here visiting. Uh, my mother-in-law is gone. Praise God. No, wait. No, wait. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Um, I'm just kidding, Rita. I love you. She listens to the podcast. Um, Phil, I love your wife. Amen. Um, my, my wife last week, uh, she is a woman of great patience and great grace. And um, we were on our way into the hospital. I guess it was a week ago, Wednesday. We're going into the labor and maternity ward at the hospital. Now, it's my understanding that in the labor and maternity ward, the only thing that goes on is labor and maternity. Those are the only two things that happen. My wife and I walk in. Uh, she is having strong contractions. Um, she, at that point, appeared to be pregnant. Her stomach resembled... Um, the word torpedo came to mind when I was... Um, uh, she's breathing in that way that only women who are about to have children breathe. Uh, I'm carrying pillows and an overnight case, and we come walking up to the receptionist, and she's literally leaning over the desk, you know, breathing, and the receptionist looks at us in that kind of, you know, corporate kind of saccharine voice and says, uh, and what are you here for today, ma'am? I wanted to say, oh, she just has a, a hangnail, Captain Obvious. It's like, yeah, no problem. But then I remembered I was a pastor, and so I just smiled and gave a pastoral smile and didn't say anything. And Rebecca just very calmly says, I'm here because I'm having a baby. <laughs> Receptionist was like, oh, okay, we'll call the nurse. So um, it's, an exciting, <laughs> it's an exciting time. And today is particularly exciting. We are wrapping up this three-part series, Three Days That Changed Everything. And so for three weeks, we have been talking about the last three days in Jesus's earthly ministry. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Friday. And that Friday was a day of sadness. It was a day of sorrow. The crucifixion, the, the, the scourging, blood ran down his back, uh, uh, you know, a crown of thorns on his head. There was jeering, there was mocking, there was, uh, you know, degradation and humiliation. And it was a very, very dark day. And then last Sunday, we talked about Saturday. And Saturday was that day after the very, very dark day. It was a day of panic. 
It was a day of confusion and bewilderment and misunderstanding and despair and hopelessness as Jesus' followers were saying, what happened to our king? What happened to him? Uh, We thought that he was going to be the Messiah, and it turns out that he was killed. But today, we are not talking about Friday. We'll mention Friday, but we're not talking about Friday, and we're not talking about Saturday. We're talking about Sunday. Sunday is the resurrection day, the day that the stone was rolled away, the day that, uh, that love overcame death, the day that light defeated darkness, the day that grave lost its sting, the day that God Almighty inaugurated his kingdom here on earth and invited you and I to participate in it, the resurrection day through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do just a, a little congregational participation kind of thing today. Um, don't worry, you, you can do it from your seat. No, no moving about. But I want to do a, a variation on the traditional Paschal greeting. And the Paschal greeting is, is a greeting that Christians have done for, you know, a couple thousand years, um, especially at Easter, where one person will say, Jesus Christ is risen, and then uh, the other person will say, he is risen indeed. You may have heard that growing up. And, and in some cultures, at that point, they kiss each other three times on the cheek. So that's a little bit outside of our cultural comfort zone. We'll leave the kissing part off. Um, but I want to revise it just a little bit, uh, contemporize it for our congregation. You know, when, when my boys, when I'm talking to my boys and I, and I tell them something that's really, really good, like we're really going to take you to Froyo and get you some, you know, frozen yogurt, or we're really going to go down to Meshuggah and get you a, a, a co- uh, not a coffee, they don't drink coffee, uh, get me a coffee uh, and get them a cookie. Um, they look at me in that kind of slightly skeptical way and they go, for real? And my response, if it's really going to happen, is, yeah, for real. Now, if it's not going to happen, I go, no, no, not for real, okay? So what I want us to do is in just a moment, I'm going to say, Jesus Christ is risen, and I want you to say, he is risen for real, okay? Um, and if you want to, you know, cheer a little bit after that or you feel excited and clapping, nobody's going to hold that against you. It's a party today. It's Resurrection Sunday, okay? Yeah, come on. All right, we believe there was a man named Jesus who spent his short life feeding the poor, clothing the naked, healing the sick, freeing the captives, fighting injustice, and breaking the bonds of slavery. His teachings burned like fire in the ears of his hearers. His touch transformed the lives of the broken and the marginalized. His love was overwhelming. His power was unmistakable and his mercy unimaginable. We believe that on a Friday, he laid down his strength and gave himself up to his enemies like a lamb to the slaughter. His friends scattered. His companions betrayed him. His disciples denied him. His enemies mocked and spit upon him, beat him and bruised him. Yet he uttered not a word. Nailed to a tree, he finally cried out in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he hung his head and gave up the ghost. On a Saturday, his body was buried in a cold, dark tomb. The king had been killed. The master had been murdered. The Lord had laid, had been laid dead and lifeless all alone. His followers were distraught. His friends were despairing. His enemies were rejoicing, glad to be rid of this man called Jesus. But then came Sunday. On a Sunday, the earth trembled, the heavens rumbled, the rocks shook, the ground groaned. On a Sunday, the king's eyes fluttered open, his lungs filled with a surge of breath. 
His lifeless heart began to thump. His body awoke on a Sunday. Death was defeated. The grave was overcome. Faith conquered fear. Hope burst forth like water. Joy flowed like a fountain and love reigned supreme. On a Sunday, your life became worth living. Your death became worth dying. Your soul took flight. Your eyes found sight. Your chains were broken. And these beautiful words were joyfully spoken. Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. All right. I have been looking forward to doing that all week. I'm going to talk just a few minutes today about that strange phenomenon that happened to the disciples on the morning that they went to, to, to the tomb and that sometimes happens in our own lives. And that phenomenon arises when our expectation about reality is different than our experience of reality. When there's a, uh, uh, an incongruence between what we expect to happen and what we experience as happening. Um, has, has anyone ever had that happen where you, you're expecting one thing, something completely different happens? I'm going to give you a couple real quick visual, visual examples for you. This guy here, you know, when he got up this morning, that morning, put on his little brown skater shirt, this was not what he was expecting to happen. He had a different idea about what was going to happen. Uh, one more quick sample. A professional soccer player trains, warms up, practices with his teams, suits up, you know, gets ready, runs out into the arena. The crowd roars. Everything is going great. And then this happens. Right? It's like the expectation and the experience are not the same thing. Um, and when our expectation does not match our experience, the result of that is surprise. And I, I, I've diagrammed it for you that I just think that you'll, you'll get this. When you expect one thing and you don't experience that thing, you are surprised. We've all had a lot of surprises in our lives. Sometimes our expectations are greater than our experience. Sometimes our expectations are less than our experience. And when our expectation is greater than our experience, then the result of that is disappointment. We have disappointment because what we expected was greater than what we experienced. Um, you know, for you, it may be that your career, you had an idea about where that was going. You had a trajectory in mind. You thought you were going a certain place. You, you had it planned out. You had a dream about where you were headed in life, but then something happened along the way. It got a little bit derailed, and now you're not living the life that you were expecting. Or maybe it's for you a relationship that you were with someone and you were in a, a loving relationship or at least you felt like that was it. But then something happened. Either they didn't want to be with you. They messed it up. You messed it up. Something happened and it derailed the life that you wanted. We all have those moments in our life. And a lot of times we can we can pinpoint those moments with pretty clear accuracy. I know that for me, you know, there have been times in my life where what I saw for my life and what actually then happened wasn't the same thing. And I was thinking this week about, and this may seem trivial, but it was, it was important to me as a kid. When I was a teenager, um, I, was, I was in a wrestling meet back in 1989. Um, I was only four years old. No, I was, I was older than that. Um, and 
And I had been wrestling since I was 11. It was my senior year in high school. I was about ready. I was ranked high in the state, and I was excited about what, where I was headed. Um, and I was at the Lafayette tournament and messed up my knee in the middle of a, of a match. And I can remember that moment as if it was yesterday. It was, I remember what I was wearing. I remember the big lancer on the wall across the way. I remember, you know, the sweat that was pouring off of me. And then that led to disappointment. That led to regret. That led to, to uh, just a great sense of almost despair, you know, when you're training for something for, you know, seven years of your life and then it all goes bust and you're a teenager and you don't know how to deal with it, you know. Um, we've all had these moments. And I don't know what yours are, but we've all had them. Then there's the opposite, Right? There's that moment when you're not expecting very much, but something in your experience is greater than what you expected, and the result of that is delight, right? And depending on how disparate the expectation is from the experience, that delight may be just a little bit, or it may be great, or you may be overjoyed. You may be completely ecstatic because you were expecting so less than what happened. This is, you know, somebody comes up and gives you a compliment. You're, you know, you get a, a job opportunity that you weren't expecting. Somebody gives you a hug that you, you know, you just, they just came up and cheered you up, right? Um, and, you know, when this happens, there's, there's, this, there's this moment where our, we shift our expectations. There's sort of a, a little paradigm shift in what we are expecting going forward. We had this moment um, back in August. My, my wife and I. We were driving in the car. It was at the end of a date night. It was a Friday night. We're driving in the car. My wife says, um, Brent, can we just uh, swing by Walgreens on the way home from this date night? And I go, yeah, sure. What, what do you need at Walgreens? She says, oh, I just need to pick something up. That piques my curiosity. I say, um, what do we need to pick up at Walgreens tonight at 11.15? Um, um, she says, well, I need to, uh, I need to pick up a... Uh, pregnancy test. I say, a pregnancy test? She says, yeah. I say, surprise. Um, (laughs) We go and pick up the test, and, you know, there's nobody in the Walgreens. It's just the two of us and the clerk behind the counter, and so I set it on the... I have a bad habit of always messing with the clerks and trying to be funny. It's ridiculous. Um, And so I said, well, it looks like we're in for a little surprise tonight. And the clerk behind the counter, she says, is this a good surprise or is this a bad surprise? I said, it depends who you're asking. Um, I'm kind of excited about this prospect. My wife, she's not so excited at that moment. In fact, we got home, took the test. It was positive. And so I'm kind of bouncing around the living room at, you know, now midnight, pretty excited about what's ha- going to happen. Rebecca's response was a little different. I snapped a picture of her in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's August 17th, 2013. <laughs> but she came around. <laughs> um, today I want to talk about the greatest surprise in the Bible. The greatest, the moment that nobody saw coming. That no, none of Jesus' followers saw this moment coming. And it required of them... And it now requires of us a dramatic paradigm shift in the way we experience life, in the way we think about God, in the way we think about ourselves. 
it requires a shift in our thinking. Um, so I'm going to dive right into the story. Luke 24, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. It says, on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday in the Jewish week, first day of the week, this is in A.D. 33, right around there, uh, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, the women are Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, um, Salome, uh, Joanna, a number of different women are recorded as having gone to the tomb on that Sunday morning. It's dark. Remember, they've, they, they followed Jesus to the crucifixion. They followed him to the burial. It's very early. The scripture says it was before light, and they were on their way to the tomb. And, you know, these are women that are distraught. They're despairing. They're on their way to the tomb, right? And there's one detail in this passage that tells us all we need to know about their expectations. The, the one detail that tells us everything we need to know about their expectations is the word spices. They were carrying spices. Why is that important? Because they weren't on their way to the tomb to make tea. They weren't there to make matzo balls. They were carrying spices because they expected to find a corpse. They expected to find the dead and lifeless body of their rabbi, of their leader, who at that point in their experience, failed from their perspective. So they're bringing spices so that they can anoint his linens. They're bringing aloe and myrrh. They can anoint his body, complete the entombment process. So, so far, no surprises, right? They saw him dead. They saw him buried. They're bringing spices. Verse 2 says, when they got there, they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. Okay. This is a little bit surprising, right? This is not exactly what they were expecting. It's not earth-shattering, but it's not exactly what they were expecting. In a different gospel, there's a, there's a moment where it's capturing their dialogue, and, and on their way to the tomb, they'd even said, who are we going to get to roll the stone away? This is a big, round, heavy stone disc that's in a groove in front of the, the tomb. And they had said, who's going to roll the stone away? So we know they were anticipating that the stone would be intact. But this isn't, you know, there are rational explanations. There are reasonable explanations why the tombstone may be moved, right, where the stone. Because Joseph of Arimathea, the guy who owned the tomb, was also a follower of Jesus. So they're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe he's gone in a little before us, and he's anointing Jesus' body. So they're, they're not completely freaking out yet. No cause for alarm. Next verse. But when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Okay, now things are starting to get a little bit weird, right? Now the, the difference between their expectations and their experience is beginning to grow. Because there's not really a good reason why, why the dead body of Jesus is not in the tomb. There, aren't, there isn't a really good explanation for why that is the case for them. And they begin to, to panic. And it's that moment that we all experience, you know, when your throat begins to tighten a little bit and your heart begins to beat a little bit faster and you feel that knot in the pit of your stomach. It's that moment when you're a little kid and you're at the store and, you know, you come around the corner and you think your mom is going to be there and, you come, and she's not there. And you start looking around and you're a little kid and you start getting afraid and you start going, what happened? Where's my mom, Right. Or if you're a parent, it's that moment when you're at the park and you've got your little kids around you and, and w w suddenly you turn around and one of them's not there. 
And you begin to call out their name, and you know, you're trying to stay cool, but you're a little bit freaked out because things are not the way that they're supposed to be. In fact, one of the gospels records that at this point, at this point, Mary Magdalene runs from the tomb, goes to Peter and John. She's already figured it out in her mind. She runs all the way to Peter and John, and she says, They've stolen the body of Jesus. Jesus' enemies have come, opened the tomb, stolen the body. But, of course, that doesn't make sense because Jesus' enemies on Saturday had gone to Pilate to say, we want to seal the tomb so that Jesus' followers don't steal the body. So Jesus' followers are saying, I wonder if Jesus' enemies stole the body. And the enemies are going, we're going to seal the tomb so that the followers don't steal the body. They didn't want, they didn't want to happen. His enemies didn't want the followers to steal the body and then say, oh, he's risen, right? So everybody is freaking out here now. Um, Everybody's starting to look at each other. But the question, the only question they're asking right now, because of their expectations, the only question they're asking is, where's the corpse? Where's the body? That's the only question on their mind. Next verse. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Okay. All bets are off at this point, right? This is a different level of surprise. This is completely outside of the scope of anything that they had anticipated on the morning with the bag of spices on their way to the tomb. They expected the stone to be there. It wasn't there. Okay. They expected Jesus' body to be in the tomb. It's not there. Little freaking weird. Now there are two men in lightning clothes, dazzling, standing beside them, and they are terrified, right? This is a radical departure from the reality that they have experienced up to this point. And, and, and uh, you know, th- there's about three explanations. They can be thinking, okay, number one, we're all crazy. Number two, we're all having some sort of mass hallucination. Or number three, there is a reality that we were not aware of before this moment that actually exists that we have just never fully understood that we have never experienced, right? Something greater than what we've normally experienced is happening. Um, C.S. Lewis's children's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, describes a moment like this for these little kids, for some little kids in London right at the beginning of World War II. There are these four little kids, and uh, in, in in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, these kids, which is a novel, these kids are sent out to the rural area of, of England to avoid the bombing in London, and they're out in this rural house, and these four little kids are playing with each other, and they're kind of bored, and so they're going to hide from the adults, and so they go upstairs, and there's this wardrobe, which is like an old-fashioned closet, and they go inside of this wardrobe, and, you know, of course, there's coats, and there's things hanging in the wardrobe, and they're in there, and it's dark, and what they expect, obviously, is that at the back of the wardrobe, there'll be a wall, and and they'll be fully encased in this wardrobe, but what they experience, in fact, one of the girls says, she's, she's you know, the, the coats are hanging, and it's kind of dark in there, and she sort of turns around, and she says, I'm leaning against a tree. And the other kids say, what? And they look, and instead of the back of the wardrobe, they enter into this, this world, this crazy, big, massive world where there are these mythical creatures, animals that talk. There are wooded you know, hills and forests and rivers and mountains. And it's this whole other reality, this whole other exciting, vibrant, wonderful, stimulating reality that they didn't know about. That's what's happening right now for these women. They're saying... This is 
this is a different kind of reality. If this is actually happening, this is a different kind of reality uh, than we've ever experienced before. It's terrifying, but it's also a little bit exciting because it may mean that there's hope for something that we didn't hope for just a, just a, you know, five minutes earlier. Okay, next verse. In their fright, the women bowed down, uh, bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and I love this question, my favorite question in the Bible, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. What is so great about this question? The part that he's not here, he is risen. That's also very good. But the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? What's so brilliant about that question is that it challenges the expectations of the women. Because, of course, they were not looking for the living. The question is, why are you looking for the living? They weren't looking for the living. They were looking for the dead. And so the the challenge from the question of the angels is twofold. You're looking for the wrong thing, and you're looking in the wrong place. Because you're looking for a corpse. You shouldn't be looking for a corpse. You should be looking for the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. You shouldn't be looking for a dead body. You should be looking for the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the resurrected Savior who's come to change the world. You're looking for the wrong thing. In other words, the angels are saying, your expectations aren't too high. They're too low. Your expectations are not too big. They're too small. You don't even, you've been with Jesus all this time. And you don't even know who he is. And you don't even know who you are in light of the resurrection power. You're expecting too little. You don't even know what's available to you through the risen power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're looking for the mundane. You should be looking for the magnificent, right? You're, you're trying to get by. You should be trying to get beyond, right? It's saying you're trying to survive. You should be looking to reign supreme with the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. There's a different life available to you. There's so much more available to you than you can even fathom at this point. So let me, let me just turn the question on you and me. What are you looking for in life? What is it that you are seeking out of life? Because if the resurrection is for real, then what you're looking for, what you're expecting, what you're hoping for may be too small. You may not be expecting enough. You may not be looking for enough. You may be looking for things like you may be looking for a little more money or a little better career or a little better grade. Right. Or you may be looking for a little nicer girlfriend or a little smarter boyfriend or whatever it is that you're looking for. Right. But but what the resurrection is saying, you're looking for finite things. And God has something to offer you that is infinite. You're looking for things that will bring you temporary pleasure. But I want to bring you eternal joy. In other words. I want to bring you the scripture is saying and this resurrection is saying ultimate happiness, ultimate peace, ultimate joy, ultimate power. So if the resurrection is for real, then you and I have to 
shift our expectations. There has to be a paradigm shift in your life, in my life, so that we can see a reality that is bigger than the one that we are currently experiencing. Are you tracking with me right now? Because, man, this makes sense to me. Um, God is saying through the resurrection, I've got more for you than just the temporal things of life. I want you to experience real joy. I want you to experience real peace. I want you to experience real courage. I want you to experience real strength. I want you to experience real hope. I want you to experience real love. I want you to experience those things that you can't get for yourself. That's where that prayer came in this week. And I I felt so strongly impressed. Don't pray for the things that you can get yourself or that you can make happen yourself. Don't pray for that. That's not trusting in God. Be a little more audacious. Be a little more outrageous. And, and, And pray as if God is actually all powerful. Amen. Um, I, uh, I came across a funny poster this week um, that I think you'll like. And it, okay, yeah, thanks, Michelle. This is, this is, this is the, the attitude that a lot of us sort of, it's, this is called a demotivational poster. Have you seen these? This is kind of the attitude that I think a lot of us go through life with. We say, yeah, the journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. That's the, the mindset of the disciples in that moment. That's the mindset that you and I sometimes carry in our hearts. And I think God is trying to tell us that there is a reality that is far beyond the reality that we are experiencing. God is calling them and us to live in faith not fear, to live in hope, not despair, to live in confidence, not anxiety, in peace, not confusion, in love, and not loneliness. That's what I believe the resurrection is telling us. So what did the women do? We go to Matthew 28. It says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. So they're, they're still, like, worried, but there's, pee, there's something happening. They're filled with joy. And, and they ran to tell the disciples, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he says. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. John Ortberg, when he describes this passage, um, he says, doesn't Jesus seem just a little understated here? These women are devastated. They loved him. They followed him. They gave their whole lives to him. He was crucified. He was buried. Now suddenly they're seeing him glorified body, resurrected. What amazing and powerful, wonderful thing is he going to say? How is he going to explain all of this? And he says, greetings. The, 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 the word used there is the most informal Greek way that you can possibly say. If you translated it today, you, it would be like, Jesus is going, hey, what's up? How you guys doing? Everybody good? Hi. How you doing? Yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. In other words, he's saying, what'd you expect? Right? What did you think was going to happen? It, did you think that death was stronger than me? Did you think that the grave was the end of the story? Oh, did you think that everything I told you before I died was not true? You know, when I was healing people and breaking bread and raising people, did you think that was all like sleight of hand or what were you thinking? You know, it's like, yeah, this is normal for me. This is, I'm Jesus, right? And I think that's the crux of what the resurrection is trying to say. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to break this off in a way that, that really sits deep in your heart because it, 
if you if you get this, if this happens for you, it is transformative. What God is trying to say is that he is in control. And he wants you to participate in the life that he has for you, not the life that you imagine for yourself, but the life that he has for you. It's about God saying to you, I want you to come and participate in the resurrection life. I'm going to I'm going to close with this and I'm going to describe my own experience and and try to pull all this together. Um, This story, the story of the resurrection is the story that prevented me from becoming a Christian for many years because I read the story of the resurrection as a young man. And, you know, my father was a pastor. I've been to a lot of funerals in my time ever since I was a little kid. And of all those funerals, this may sound crazy, I never saw one of those dead people come back to life. So when I saw, when I read the story of the resurrection, my sensibility, based on my experience and my expectation, I said, you know what? I don't believe it. I don't believe it happened. Dead people cannot be raised from the dead. When dead people die, they're dead. So that's the view of the resurrection I had for many, many years. I did not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The central truth of the Christian faith, I didn't accept it. I didn't affirm it. I didn't believe it. But then about almost 10 years ago, I was kind of going through my, you know, monthly struggle with this notion. This story of the resurrection had been haunting me for years. And I didn't know quite how to deal with it, didn't quite know how to where to put it in my mind. And almost 10 years ago, in fact, it was just a few weeks for East, before Easter, I was reading and praying. I had been reading a bunch of different books about the resurrection. And, and in my own heart and mind, I said this. I said, I need to put this issue to bed once and for all for myself. I need to either just be okay with the fact that I'm not a believer, or I need to become a believer because I can't keep like the tension of the struggle I think God was drawing my heart for many, many years, uh, I can't just continue on down this path. And so I was reading. Um, I, was in the f- I was in my apartment in Phoenix, Arizona. I was sitting on the floor. I was reading the Bible, and then I was also reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which a lot of you have read. And I- I'm reading it, and this sort of surprising paradigm shift happened in my mind. It was very surprising the way... It all came about. But as I was sitting there thinking, my normal thought was, a dead man doesn't rise from the dead. The next thought was this. Unless the dead man was not just a man. If the dead man was the Christ, was the Messiah, if the dead man was the Son of God, if the dead man was God manifest in the flesh, if the dead man was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it wouldn't be hard at all for him to raise from the dead. In fact, if he's really the Messiah, if he's really the son of God, the miracle is that he died at all. It's not a miracle that he was resurrected. The resurrection is just God putting things back the way they're supposed to be. And that's where the shift happened in my heart because I started thinking about all of the things that Jesus did. And all of the things that Jesus did may seem like a miracle to you and me, 
But to Jesus, it was just him putting things back the way that they were supposed to be. When God created the world, he didn't create a world of pain and violence and sickness and racism and bigotry and fear. He didn't create that. Sin came in and corrupted the paradise that he created. So when Jesus was walking around on the earth, all he's doing is putting things back the way they're supposed to be. Back the way that he had originally designed them to be. And so it's not that big of a deal if Jesus raises from the dead because death is not part of God's original plan for you and me. Death is a corruption. Amen? Sickness is a corruption of what God originally designed. And that's when it, everything sort of shifted for me. And I began to say, wow, if God, if God is really God, then this thing is for real. And if this thing is for real, then he's calling you and he's calling me to participate in a life that, that before we really get this, we cannot even fathom or imagine. He's calling us to live in a resurrection life. He's calling us to live with real joy, real peace, real strength, real hope, real comfort. Why? Because he wants to use you and use me to bring real strength, real joy, real comfort, real hope, real peace, real reconciliation, real redemption to the world around us. And why does he want to do that? Because that makes him look good. That honors him. That brings him glory. And that's ultimately what this is all about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you, City Family Church. It's not about anything else. It's about God. It's about bringing glory and honor and praise to God Almighty. This is, this is the paradigm shift. Jesus is saying to you and to me, why are you looking for the dead? I want to give you the living. Like the, like the prodigal son, you know, don't stop eating out of the pig trough and come to the banquet that I have spread out for you. Be a, a conduit of life and hope and power and strength in this world. I'm going to read you. I'm going to close with this. I, I skipped right over N.T. Wright, but I got I to gotta show respect to this preeminent historian and theologian. Listen to this quote. N.T. Wright says, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, that will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. You see, the resurrection is not just about, hey, everything's going to be okay after you die. That's part of it, but that's not what it's really about. What it's really about is you can live a resurrection life right here and right now, and I want you to live it and follow me. 
may not always be easy. It may be tough at times. It will be a struggle at times. But there will be an ultimate reality that is underneath and around and in you that you never have experienced until you experience the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to, as we close here, I want to invite all of us to participate in that life. All of us to have a shift, a paradigm shift. You know, the paradigm shift idea, some people call it repentance. Some people call it regeneration. Some people call it making a decision for Christ. Some people call it, you know, accepting Jesus, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. it there's a moment that can happen in your life, it has happened in my life, where you give yourself over to the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty, the power of a God who loves you and who sent his son to die for you. And I want to invite all of you, whether you've been a Christian for many years or whether this is all brand new, to step in one step further into this resurrection life so that you can go out and we can go out and transform our world by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that's what he's called you to do. And I believe it's what he's called me to do. So let's do it. Um, amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, right now we come before you and we open our hearts, we open our minds on this Easter Sunday, this day where millions and millions and millions of people around the globe are celebrating that moment in history where the tomb was empty. We join with them. We lift up our hearts in praise. We lift up our hearts in expectation. We say, God, transform our lives so that our experience of reality can include the experience of your resurrection. Give us power today. Give us strength today. Give us courage today. If you're a person right now, as we're keeping our heads bowed, if you're a person who uh, you want to experience this and you've never experienced this before, but you say, I want to take a step towards that experience. I want to know more about Christ. I want to give my life to him. Would you just know with nobody looking around? I just, and I don't normally do this, but I want to, I really want to invite you to participate in that. And nobody will embarrass you and you won't have to do anything. But will you, if, if that's you and you say, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want, to, I want to go after him. I want a different life. I want a life beyond what I've been experiencing. I want a life of real hope, real peace, real strength, real courage. I want to follow Jesus. Will you just slip up your hand right now and just acknowledge that that's what you want to do? Amen. Oh, man, that's awesome, you guys. So awesome. That's what I want too, man. That's what I want too. Let's all pray. Father, we just ask right now that you open our hearts, pour your spirit into our lives. Help us to walk in light of the resurrection, not a life of despair, of hopelessness, of pain, uh, of unlimited suffering. Help us, Lord, to, in the midst of our pain and suffering, experience the joy and the power of your spirit, the hope that you bring through the resurrection. 
Help us when we march out these doors today to be filled with a sense of wonder at the grandeur, the majesty, and the greatness of who you are. Help us to shift our mind from the mundane to the majestic, to see who you really are, God, to really grasp, even if for a moment, the possibility that Jesus Christ is risen and that he's calling us to live a resurrected life as well. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We, we lift up our hearts to you. We repent of our sins, and we ask you to take over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.